The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. We really have a soft spot for City Rev Church in our hearts, not just because you have such great leaders, uh, but also because this church is partnering with us as we engage in those 31 nations across the world to serve leaders. And uh, I just want to thank you for your commitment to invest beyond. Uh, And we are at the receiving end of that. And so we just say thank you very much for your continued support as a church. And I think you can just give yourselves a great hand because... You are a blessing uh, to so many that you might not even be aware of. Well, it really is great to be with you and to share the word with you today uh, on this topic of influence. And um, I was asked to speak about uh, the fact, how does everyday influences have influence. And uh, I was just thinking about the, uh, uh, maybe I can just say, guys, you need to start that timer, otherwise I will go on forever. (laughs) I I, I immediately thought about the disciples. And, um, you know, the disciples sure were not people of massive influence. They were just regular people. As a matter of fact, I often have thought if I was Jesus, I would have probably chosen some other people. People that had obvious influence within society. And and I think how Jesus looked at his disciples knowing that he was about to turn over to this motley crew the destiny of Christianity, of the church, that everything was going to rise and fall on how they would be the carriers of influence of this cause uh, following Christ. And it's... um, Interesting for me how Jesus addresses them uh, just before he's about to go to the cross. And then Jesus prays, and he prays for them. But it's interesting, in John 17, we read the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's the last prayer recorded before he dies. And here Jesus prays, and he says, I'm not just praying for you, I'm praying for all those that are far off that will believe. And so in essence, Jesus was including you and me in this prayer. And listen to what Jesus prays in John 17. We're going to read a few verses from verse 15 to 18. I do not pray that you take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. It's very interesting that Jesus prays for the disciples about being sent into the world as Jesus went into the world to do what? To influence, to affect, to change, to realign people's lives to a new way of living. Jesus says, I'm now praying for you that you will be sent as I have been sent to the world. Now, I must be honest with you, I grew up as a Christian in, in uh, an environment where really we did not have much of a sense of appreciation for the world. Uh, my favorite scripture growing up was, I am not of this world. And, uh, but then I discovered that that particular text is in a bigger context. You that are not of the world, you have been sent to the world. Now, I struggled to grapple with this until one day I got a revelation. And I got this revelation when I uh, was trying to set my dog free from fleas. So I share with Liberty today the parable of the fleas. Uh, I took my dog and I decided I was going to start at the tail end and I was going to work through uh, and catch every flea that I can and set my dog free. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's a pretty challenging exercise. And as I was busy doing that, a friend of mine arrived and asked me what I was doing. I explained my project to him. And he looked at me and he said, Alan, why don't you just go to the store and buy a flea collar? I thought, well, there's an idea I never thought about. So I, I went to the store, got the flea collar, put it around the neck of the dog. And sure enough, within three days, all the fleas are gone. I'm intrigued. I'm trying to figure out how, how did this work? I mean, how did the fleas at the tail end know there is now a flea collar around the neck of the dog? I mean, how did they know it was a flea collar? I, I, I had the instructions with me. I, I never explained it to them. But somehow they knew, time to get off. So I went back to my friend. I said, hey, you've got to help me here, man. How, how does this thing work? He says, Alan, it's pretty simple. He says, on this collar, there is a powder. And uh, when the dog brushes against the, the collar, the powder is released. It sits on the skin of the dog. And then it's assimilated through the skin into the bloodstream. And then it builds an immunity in the bloodstream. And now as the blood circulates through the dog, when the tick or the flea bites the dog, the flea dies and the dog lives. And I said, hallelujah. <laughs> I now understand John 17. 
Because this is what Jesus was praying, right? Father, don't take them out of the flea nest of this world. Put them right in between the fleas. It's a new translation, okay? <laughs> but do something to them. Sanctify them by your truth. Let truth find opportunity in their lives so that truth can build an immunity within them that when they enter into the world, they will not be affected by the world, but they will affect their world. Wow. When that dawned on me, I suddenly realized this is what happens to every individual that captures this truth in their lives. They now become people that will affect. They become people that were influenced. They now step into a broken, damaged, confused world. And they are not intimidated or infatuated by the world. But they enter into that space to enter into influence affect their world. This is what Jesus had in mind with these very regular disciples. He knew that if truth could capture their lives, they would immediately become people of influence. Now, um, my question was, what, what is this truth? What is this truth that can so empower a life to recognize that you carry something that can influence people's lives? We recognize that the, th this truth is really the revelation of Christ and you being in Christ. You're being associated in him. It's so beautiful when you just read how Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He wants them to understand this truth. And, and the whole first chapter, it's one long verse that, that actually uh, has no period in any of his communication. It's like he just... He just erupts in this recognition of who you are in Christ. And every one of the verses that are now as verses, um, we, we recognize in Him, in Christ, together with Him, every single one of those verses. It's the biggest revelation that any human being can get is who you have become because you are in Christ. Now, to, to understand that in Christ reference, you have to understand that, that you died with Christ. That when Jesus died, you died. And you were included in that reference. It's the power of inclusion. You were included in what happened on the cross. The Bible says we died with him. You know, it's like uh, sports fans... I don't know, uh, coming to the U.S. here from South Africa, 
Uh, I didn't understand any of your sports because we play rugby and cricket. Uh, and, and so I, I, I just looked at the fans. And it's amazing what happens to a fan when their team wins, right? Suddenly they have an attitude. It's like, you know, they can't wait for somebody to speak to. Why? Because if you ask them who won, they would re reply, we won. What do you mean we won? You did nothing, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. When my team won, I won. I'm included. That documented victory now has a bearing on my life. It has a bearing on how I feel, how I think, how I talk, how I function. It affects my life. Listen, 2,000 years ago, there was a victory. Jesus Christ was victorious, and you are included in that reference. His victory is your victory. You have to see yourself in that reference. But not only did you die with Christ to your old life, to sin and Adam's inferiority, you were raised, the Bible says, into newness of life. You were raised into a new identity. You were raised into a knowledge that you now represent Christ and the Christ life within you. But it doesn't even end there. The Bible says we share in his triumph and we are seated with him in heavenly places. What is heavenly places? I mean, does it mean we're a bunch of space cadets like, ooh, heavenly places? No, it means it's a place of authority. It's a place of influence. It's a place of proximity to the creator. You are seated with him in heavenly places. When you discover these truths, that you died with him, you were raised with him, you are seated with him, it affects your life and suddenly you become a person of influence. Now, when we look at... at um, Jesus' life, we, we recognize this, this is what he, he wanted for us. And this bodes the question, how do we as the church then present ourselves to have influence upon our world? Well, through the ages we see the church took different positions. The, um, I, I'd like to share four positions that the church has taken towards the world. The first one is what we can call the protesting church. Well, this is when the church only shows up when it's against something. This is when we want to protest and, and say we don't like what we're seeing, and so we show up and, and protest it. Now, now, there is a place for the church to have a prophetic voice, but here's the thing. If we only show up when we're against something, the world is only going to know us for what we're against and never for what we are for. Well, then we see the absent church, second position, where the church said, well, you know what? We don't really have any responsibility or obligation or we really don't like to, so what do we do? We withdraw from the world and we become our own little enclave and we become irrelevant to the world because, you see, if you are absent... Society quickly moves on and you will become irrelevant. You will have no voice. 
And then we see how the church through the ages has said, no, no, we have to be engaged within the world. And, and we see how they engage the world, but they do that in a way where they become like the world. They become the cultural church. They really don't affect their world. They don't influence the world. They don't align the world to kingdom life. What happens is they actually assimilate that which is in the world and, and now we see that we are no longer salt, we are no longer light, we are no longer have influence. So what do we suggest? Well, it's as Jesus. Remember, this is how Jesus prayed. I'm praying that you will enter the world as I. As I was sent, so I send you. And so it's within that context that we see Jesus becomes flesh, and, and here we can speak about the incarnational church. It means you immerse yourself within a context so that you can influence and affect and be light and, and, and be that, that sense of grace to your community. Now, I love the way that um, the message translation uh, documents Jesus becoming flesh in one, in John 1 verse 14, um, and uh, there's also this, this, this sense of the, he is the eternal word. Listen to what it says. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The message translation says he moved into our neighborhood. He dwelt amongst us, and listen to this, and we beheld his glory. What does that mean? Was it like a halo that we, no, no, the way he lived life. We beheld the glory, the glory as, as the only begotten of the Father. Remember, before the cross, Jesus is the only begotten. After the cross, Jesus is the firstborn. Why? Because there was a second and a third and a fourth and somewhere is my number and somewhere there is your number if you have received Jesus as your Lord. Listen to this. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's as if John is saying, this, this is what you need to understand to have influence means you start to live with grace and truth. And I think the order in which it is presented is extremely important because Jesus always led with grace and then he introduced truth. The problem many times with us as Christians is we want to lead with truth and if you accept my truth, then I will show you grace. What if we just changed it around and did it as Jesus did? Jesus went and loved and, and, and embraced and, and connected with people in their brokenness and in their pain and in their confusion. And it was in that context that when the moment was right, he introduced truth. It was this that Jesus wanted to train his disciples with. Over and over, we see how Jesus is equipping his disciples. I love when, when John documents Jesus' uh, ministry in John 4, 
he says, and Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, most of the Jewish people never went through Samaria. A religious leader would not go through Samaria because they, they despised the Samaritans. They saw them as, 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 as people that um, they did not appreciate. They, 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 they were in, in tension with this group of people called the Samaritans. And here Jesus goes and he stops at the well and he meets a woman in the natural rhythms of her daily life. She's coming to get water. It's as if Jesus is teaching them. Listen, this influence that I'm talking about, this affecting people's lives, is what happens in the natural rhythms of people's lives. You don't have to wait for a special Sunday service or some spiritual space for you to be able to connect with people. I am telling you, I'm showing you, I'm manifesting to you how to connect with people and influence their lives. It was as if this was constant in Jesus' engagement. I, I see how Jesus wanted to connect with the sinners and the tax collectors. Listen to Luke 15. It says, And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now you've got to, just, just for a moment, just think about this. This is the most holy man that ever walked on this planet. And him being the most holy man, sinners and tax collectors wanted to be with him. Why? Because he manifested grace. He was embracing them. He was listening to them. He was bringing them to a place where they would discover truth. And here we see the religious, of course, did not appreciate this because it says the Pharisees and the scribes complained and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He's sharing life with them. Why? Because he wants to influence them. He wants to affect them. He wants to touch their lives. You know, one of the best examples of, of crossing that divide and recognizing that when you enter into the world is, is when Jesus says to his disciples, just after they have fed the 5,000 people with bread and fish, uh, Jesus calls them together and says, go over to the other side. Now, they didn't want to go to the other side. Because, you see, the other side was the unclean side. That was where the seven nations of Canaan had settled. The other side was the pig-eating side. For a Jew, that was bad. They never went there. As a matter of fact, they believed that when you go to the other side and you connect with any people on the other side, when you come back to the Israel side here where the 12 tribes are, you have to go through a cleansing ceremony because you are now unclean. 
by virtue of you just connecting with those people. But this is not the first time Jesus says to them, go over to the other side. You can read that in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus calls them together and says, we're going over to the other side. Now they can't believe this. Why would the rabbi take us to the other side? This is unheard of. And, and, and of course, they were superstitious. They, 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 they recognized that bad things can happen to you if you go over to the other side. And so there's this anxiety in their hearts as they get into the boat. And, and the Bible says, uh, and Jesus went to sleep. Kind of heightens the tension. You know, so now we have to go to the other side, and, and he's now sleeping. All right, so here are the disciples now rowing, going to the other side. Now you can just imagine the conversation in that boat. <laughs> Guys, you shouldn't be going to the other side. I mean, this is crazy. Why would, he, why would he take us to the other side? I mean, what are we going to do on the other side? You can just listen to these disciples. Why? Because they were ordinary people. And Jesus was equipping them. And here they were. And then... A storm comes up. Now suddenly this storm is different to every other storm that they've ever encountered. Why? Because they're going to the other side. This is a bad thing that we're doing and bad things are going to happen to us. And now there's a storm. And, and now they're saying there's a storm and he's sleeping and here we go. And, 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 and now as they are rowing, the Bible says at one stage they can't help themselves anymore. And they go and awaken Jesus. And what do they say to him? Do you not care that we perish? It's like they're saying to Jesus, why are you taking us to the other side? We're going to die. Well, Jesus gets up, he quietens the storm, and then they get to the other side. The disciples are, are amazed. I mean, they're saying to each other, what manner of man is this? That he speaks to the wind and the waves. Well, they get to the other side. There's nobody there to meet them because, remember, they don't have contact with those people. There's no interaction with those people. They're, there is no welcoming committee but here they arrive, and, and the disciples really don't want to be on this side. And Jesus looks around to see who's there, and there's one mad guy full of demons running around between the graves. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, that's our guy. <laughs> I mean, I can just see these disciples. This is a trip from hell. And this is like, what? We've come for that guy. Long story, they get all of the guy, chase out the demons. Now, many of you might have read that story about the demons being chased out, and the demons go into a herd of pigs, right? And then the pigs, well, they go crazy. They run towards the cliff. There's this mass suicide, and thousands or many pigs die. And of course... That affects the economy. And if you affect the economy, you get the attention of the people. So all the people of the, of the region are now coming down. They're coming to Jesus. They say, get out of this region. We don't want you in this region. The disciples are excited. They're back in the boat. They can't wait to go. And then the guy that has just been set free is standing there, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, 
Can I go with? And Jesus says, no. I always felt so sorry for the guy. It's like Jesus, he just wants to join the team. Jesus was so smart. He knew he had just found the key to a whole region. He had found a person that will now become a person of influence. And you know what Jesus says to him? Just go and tell your story. You see, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of an argument. Just go tell your story. Just tell what has happened to you and go, go to every town, go to every village, go everywhere and go and tell your story. Jesus knew he'd found the key to that whole region. I believe God wants to give us keys to environments, to places, to spaces, to people's lives. He wants to give us keys to unclean places so that we can influence those environments. Well, it was very different, Jesus giving him this commission, go and tell your story in every village, than what Jesus normally said to people on the Israel side, because it was not yet time for them to go into every town and every village and every environment to tell them about Jesus. And so, so we see the different strategy that Jesus had uh, towards the Israel side and towards the Canaan side. Anyway, the disciples are grateful Jesus is back in the boat. They're rowing. They're going back to the Israel side. Now here on the Israel side, there are major miracles taking place. Jesus is doing amazing things. And they get to this place where there are 5,000 people and the people are hungry. And Jesus says to them, go break this group up into groups of 50s and 100s. They break them up and, and now they have just fed 5,000 people. The disciples have seen a miracle in their own hands as they have broken the bread. And this is amazing for them because they feel, wow, just look at what has happened. And Jesus calls them. They're still busy high-fiving one another. Jesus says, come here, come, come here, guys. He says, go over to the other side. They're like, this cannot be true. Jesus, you remember how those people feel about us. You remember what happened last time? And Jesus said, oh yeah, and by the way, this time I'm not going with. God bless you. Now they're getting in the boat. Can you imagine that conversation? Why, this is crazy. Crazy! We shouldn't be going, and he's not even in the boat. What, what if we have trouble? What do you, can you imagine just that anxiety, that uncertainty? But the Bible says Jesus had his eye on them all the time. He went up on the mountain, and he was watching them. And then in the middle of the night, Jesus decides, well, it's time for him to go to the other side. They're in the middle of the lake. A storm is starting to come, 
and, and, and they're anxious and, and, and they're expecting the worst. And so Jesus decides to take the shortcut and he's going to walk on the water. And I mean, you can just imagine, they, they're so anxious in the boat. When they see Jesus walking here on the water, the first thing they think is, it's a ghost. Jesus says, no ghost, it's me. Guys, see you on the other side. But Peter then spoils the program, of course. He gets out of the boat, starts sinking. Jesus has to save him. And they all get to the other side. Now, here's what happens. When they get to the other side, Jesus, the rumor starts spreading around the region. The one who set the man full of demons free is back. And people start coming, and Jesus starts ministering so much so that 4,000 people gather. And then they get hungry. And Jesus calls the disciples and says, let's break the bread. And they go and they feed the people. And when they finish, they pick up seven baskets. Now, when they finished on the other side, they get back in the boat. And now they're going back to the Israel side. Now, listen to this. Jesus makes one of those big statements that the disciples really never really truly understood and he makes this statement, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What Jesus really was saying is, watch out for the religious people, because they are going to keep you from the mission, from influence, from touching the world, from engaging the world, because they have another agenda. And, and you have to understand that, you know, that's leaven. It's going to affect you. Beware of that. And the disciples come together and they're saying to one another, what does it mean? What is he saying? What is Jesus is listening, the Bible says. And they come to this conclusion. It has no logic. But they come to this conclusion. We forgot the bread. Jesus says, guys, guys, come here. Come here. Come here. Calls them together. He says, listen, let me ask you a question. He says, when we were on the Israel side, there were the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, we fed the people. How many baskets did we pick up? They say, 12. He says, you're right. He says, and then we went to the other side. There were the seven nations of Canaan settled. He said, how many baskets did we pick up? They say, seven. He says, and you don't understand? And they didn't. And neither did I. I read that thing so many times. Say, hey, Jesus, what are you saying? Come on, Jesus, what are you saying? Until one day somebody broke it open for me, saying, listen, Jesus was saying, listen, when we fed the people in Israel and picked up 12 baskets, it was more than just feeding hungry people. It was a prophetic statement that there's more than enough of me to feed all of Israel, to feed all of my people, to feed all of the church, to feed those that are following me. But I also want you to understand that I am the bread of life to feed those that are on the other side. There's more than enough of me to feed the other side this side that side it's all my side wow. let me end how do we feed the other side you remember when Jesus called his disciples the Bible says he took the bread he took the fish he blessed it and then he broke it 
You have to understand Jesus didn't break the bread and the fish and build a whole reserve so that, you know, the disciples feel very secure. You know, at least now we have enough bread and enough fish. We're going to feed all these people because there's this massive reserve that Jesus has just created. No, he broke the bread and the fish and he put it in their hands. And then he said to them, go feed the people. I can just see those disciples standing here with a little piece of fish, a little piece of bread, looking at the people, looking at Jesus, looking at the bread. This is a problem. I mean, they weren't the sharpest guys there are, but this is a problem. But Jesus said, go do it. So I see how they... How he walks to a group of 100 and then decides, no, let's rather start with a group of 50. I see that disciple breaking the first piece. I guarantee you the first piece was a small piece. <laughs> Why? He's a smart disciple. This stuff must last. And then he breaks another piece. I mean, can you imagine the first guy that got the first piece? <laughs> so this is it. You guys went to all the trouble here, the groups and everything, for this? I'm so sorry, man. And then he breaks another piece. And as he's breaking the pieces, he recognizes something is happening here in my hand. I see him breaking a bigger piece, just testing it, just... A bigger piece, and another piece, another big piece, and another big piece. Hey, hey, help yourselves. What just happened? The principle is, we are called to make a difference. But sometimes we don't do anything because we want to do the big thing. But it all starts with just the next step. Breaking small pieces. You want to be a person of influence? Just make a decision that tomorrow your attitude's going to change. Tomorrow you're going to show more love. Tomorrow you're going to encourage people. Tomorrow just start breaking the pieces. And as you break the pieces, the influence of God becomes manifest through your life. Normal people. Having great influence. I want to bless you. In a sense, I want to commission you. I want to send you today. Would you rise with me as we pray together? Would you just receive in this moment the, the release of God, the sending, the, the, the commissioning of God upon your life? Father, we thank you. Thank you that right now we can come before your throne in the knowledge that you, you are our Father. You, you are the one that has brought us into this new through Jesus Christ. Our lives have been affected. Our lives have changed. Our lives have been the recipients of truth. And, and we see ourselves in Christ. And, and thank you now that we can be released that we can be sent 
And so today, Lord, I pray for everyone that's hearing this word. In the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, I release you, I send you, I commission you to go into your world and start breaking the pieces. We thank you that we can represent your goodness here in this world. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.